those programs were all started serving white cisgendered males. The outdoors has a diversity problem. Not in the geography or the weather, but in the people who participate. Right, because you can't go out and get your needs met in the same way as a queer person as you can if you are someone who has less marginalized identity. Today's guest is changing that by getting people out, outside. Hi there. You're listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. This is Mountain Meister. On the other end, we welcome Elise Rylander. She's the executive director of Out There Adventures, an organization that takes queer young people on outdoors adventures to help them develop positive identities and individual empowerment. Elise, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Describe these outdoors adventures in more detail. Where are they going and for how long? Yeah, so we offer a couple different programs. Um, During the school year, we offer day-long adventures that take place somewhere in the Puget Sound region. Um, So those could be just easy day hikes. This week, um, on Sunday, actually, we are going to do some indoor climbing. And uh, this spring, we might do some rafting, kayaking, things like that. And then in the summertime, we offer multi-day expeditions. This summer, they'll be ranging in, um, in length from three days to four days to five days to eight days. And the activities we cover in those trips include kayaking, climbing, uh, surfing, hiking, and backpacking. And this is all in the Seattle area, correct? Correct. Right now, yes. Mm-hmm. And ages 14 through 18, do I have that right? Um, 14 through 17 is our youth expedition program, and then 18 through 22 is our outdoor school program. Gotcha. And why why the division of those ages? Um, well, part of it is just out of reflection of what we have to do um, per our insurance. So when folks turn legal to be legal adults, we have to think about things like tent groupings and whatnot. Um, and then we also wanted to be able to offer programs where folks could connect with others that are in their sort of developmental range. Um, So the experiences of a 14-year-old are obviously going to be vastly different than a 22-year-old. And we want those opportunities for folks to to have those conversations and to get to learn about each other, um, which we achieve through our day programs. But when we're out in the field for extended periods of time, we thought it best to separate those out um, a bit more by developmental Um, maturity and capacity. So we were talking before the show about the politically correct terminology. Mm -hmm. Can we, can we go back to that conversation? Uh, I asked you if queer was the politically correct term. You said yes, but in some parts of the country. Yeah. um, Queer is an interesting word. It's super empowering for some and very off putting for others. Um, You know, in Boston, you probably find, people using the word queer a lot in a very empowering sense. Um, and I was saying where I grew up in rural Wisconsin, that would still, even though it's 2016, um, would be used most likely in a negative way. So it, it does still just depend on where you are in the country, if you're in a rural setting or an urban setting. Um, but it is absolutely one that <clears throat> people shouldn't fear using. It is used you know, by folks who identify with that community all the time. Um, and sometimes it can be a really good indicator on someone's level of knowledge if they're using it very easily and 
and in a way that is positive, it can be a good indicator that they might be an ally. How are these decisions made? It seems like there's almost an identity crisis. Um, I I think there is. You know, folks, there's definitely a generational gap um, between language. Uh You know, I came, I'm 25, so I am a millennial. And when I talk to folks that are maybe of a baby boomer era or even um, that next generation in between, they they had a very different experience with that word. Um, and it can be very difficult for them to try to use it. And we've bumped into issues with, you know, even folks just listening to what we're trying to do or, or maybe if we're trying to solicit some donations from them, us just using that word queer can be difficult for them to, to swallow. Um, but it came from, that sort of reclamation came from the academic world. And, um, you know, I, I took queer theory classes in college, and you'll see those popping up more and more across the country. And so I believe, and I could be incorrect about this, but I believe that the history is that it, it was reclaimed in these academic spaces and then also in activist spaces, and now it's becoming more mainstream. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, can I, how do you identify yourself? Can I, I don't even know if it's that appropriate to ask that question, first of all. Um, yeah, in this context, I'd <laughs> okay, be down right, for sure. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm gay. I am cisgendered, so we can talk about that because that's another word that usually stumps people. Do tell. Um, so cisgendered is sort of the the opposite of trans. So I was assigned female at birth, you know, when I was born. The doctor was like, it's a girl. And I do identify as a woman. Um, and so cis is, the Latin root is the different I'm sorry, the same side as, so, and then trans being different. Um, and so cisgender also came out of, out of sort of academic and activist cultures to, to offer an opportunity so that we're not only identifying folks that are something different from the default, but we're identifying everyone, if that makes sense. So we all, we all have a gender identity and we all have a gender expression and we all need to own that and we all need to identify those things in, in each other as opposed to just identifying those that might be different. Coming up, we learn more about Elise and Out There Adventures. But first, let's thank our sponsor, Mountain House. They make mouth-watering home-style meals that are perfect for your day-long and multi-day adventures. All you have to do is add hot water, wait 10 minutes, and you'll have meals like lasagna and meat sauce, chicken teriyaki, beef stroganoff with noodles, pasta primavera, and wait for it, raspberry crumble with cookie crumbs and cheesecake bites. Oh my god, it's so good. But don't just listen to me talk about it. Try it for yourself. 20% off mountainhouse.com slash meister. You get a secret code to use at checkout there. So I did my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin, and um, one of my degrees is in women's studies. And then I took a few years off from school um, and did some guiding and stuff, and then went back to college and started grad work at Prescott College in northern Arizona. And um, did about three semesters there, and OTA took off in a way that I didn't really anticipate. So I've put that grad work on hold um, for the time being. But I was able to <clears throat> be a part of some really cool projects while I was at Prescott. Um, a book, a textbook just came out. It's the Rutledge International Handbook of Outdoor Studies. Mm. 
And um, I was able to co-author a book chapter in there. And I've been able to do some conference presentations, um, some consulting work with different adventure-based companies and stuff. Um, So it's been exciting for sure. So where did the idea come about? Is this something that you needed in your childhood? Um, I mean, it would have been great. We, I probably wouldn't have been able to go because we didn't necessarily have the funds for that sort of thing. Um, I didn't grow up as a camp kid. I did a lot of camping, uh, but just with, with my family and extended family. Um, so yeah, sure. It would have been a great resource. I wasn't out until I came to college because the town I grew up in was incredibly conservative, um, and very small. It would have been a pretty interesting and potentially dangerous, um, situation. So I actually don't know if I would have accessed that resource until I got to college. Um, but the idea came from my work in outdoor education. You know, I, I taught canoeing and kayaking and stand up paddleboard classes for years, um, through high school and college and, and was a challenge course facilitator. And my senior year of college, I, I was looking, you know, beyond, my time in Madison and and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and um, thought I wanted to maybe go into wilderness therapy, maybe become an outward bound instructor or something like that. And, and I wanted to work in a program that would be serving my people, you know, my community and nothing really existed. Um, Well, nothing, nothing did exist at all. Nothing still exists except for us. And, uh, and so I just, I happened to have a collection of, very supportive adults uh, at that time. And and so they were like, well, you need to move to these three places if you want to get this going. And um, here's a little bit of of support and knowledge and, and just go for it. And so I did. And here we are five years later. So why does the, why are the outdoor, why is the outdoors such a great platform to provide this, the safe space? Um, a couple of different reasons. You know, there's this growing body of research out there that talks about the positive impacts that nature has on our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health. Um, so I think that, that that's a resource that's sorely needed for this particular community and for a lot of folks in general. Um, and then, you know, you also, when you're out in the field with a small group of people for a long time and you're relying on each other to make sure that you get to your next destination safely, to make sure that your meals are cooked, um, all of those things, it creates this amazing community, you know, and that's why we, we all do the things that we do, right? Because we've experienced that. Um, so that in conjunction with these amazing moments that you can have in the natural world are just so powerful. Um, and I, I really wanted to be able to offer that to this community that's just incredibly under-resourced. What, what do you need to do to uh, – safe spaces, there's nothing really to define that, is there? Like what do you need to do to make the kids on this trip feel that it's a safe space? Um, well, we have to do quite a few things. You know, this – the queer community doesn't have a history of connecting with the natural world. Um, so just going outside <clears throat> can be a pretty jarring experience for some folks. So we have to combat um, – a couple of different things and create safe spaces in a couple of different ways. You know, we have to let them know that they're not going to (laughs) die when they're out kayaking with us. Um, and then we also have to have to do things like identify ourselves from the outset that we know what we're, what we're talking about. We're a part of the community. We know the language. 
Um, we know about pronouns. We know what demisexual means. We know what um, what can happen if you're wearing a binder and you do too much physical activity. You know, we know how to safely administer hormones while you're out in the field. Um, and so all of those things help to lay this framework of, of true support and true in- inclusivity. You know, kids are allowed to, to do what they want to do and to be who they are um, in a way that they, they maybe aren't, you know, when we're connected to all of, of these other things, technology and social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what, if that's not the reality, I think it's safe to assume that that isn't the reality outside of these trips. Mm-hmm. What what does it do? Like, what, does it stick with them? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, and that's what we've heard from folks that have engaged in in programs with us. Um, you know, one one trip participant that we've had <clears throat> um, took a step that that was a very it was a very massive one. And for those that aren't, aren't trans, they probably don't fully understand, but. Um, he was wearing a binder, which is a, a device that you, one wears around the chest. It's, um, something that folks who are born female, but identify as male will often wear in order to sort of flatten down mm-hmm. your chest. And, um, it can be, you know, they're really tight <laughs> to achieve their purpose and, um, and they can be dangerous uh, if you if worn improperly, and then you're also not allowed to engage in a lot of physical activity. So it was this, it was this interesting thing from a risk management standpoint that we had to deal with. Um, and he wound up taking it off and not wearing it um, about halfway through the trip, and then for the remainder of our trip, um, because he said he felt like we saw him for who he truly was, and he didn't have to worry about the clothes that he was wearing or, you know, his body that was being presented to, to the world, um, because we, we did such a great job affirming him. So I think it's making an impact for sure. In some respects, though, it's almost depressing that they're able to experience what, I don't know, it almost seems like a utopian, right? But it's not reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we're met with that when we're out in the field, um, you know, we do our kayaking trips through the San Juans. And so even though we're creating this this little community, um, we're engaging with the rest of the world all the time, you know, and, and we're camping near other folks and, and whatnot. Um, so it is this interesting sort of flux. We're always kind of moving between these two different worlds, you know. And we just do our best to try to give them the tools to be able to handle whatever situations might arise while they're on trip. And then hopefully they'll be able to, to transfer those skills over to the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So you, you have used a few vocabulary words in this interview that I haven't been familiar with. Is, is there, is it the responsibility or whose responsibility or should it happen? Should the broader audience be educated on all of these new words? And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not familiar with this stuff. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think I definitely think folks should be, uh, and it doesn't take too long to to get sort of a basic framework. You know, you can mm-hmm. Google all sorts of things. We have a resource page um, on our website, and I think it is important that folks have a good handle on the language that's being used. Um, because if, if I'm having a conversation with someone and I use the word queer, and that 
isn't something that they're familiar with, or if I use the term cisgender, then they get stuck on that and they're not able to listen to the rest mm-hmm. of what I have to say. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you'll hear about this a lot in activist communities. It's exhausting to have to constantly be educating other people on the issues that, that you are facing or the microaggressions that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So it's fantastic when other folks are able to, to do that on their own and, and meet you meet you where you're at and then you can carry that conversation further is it my individual i mean in this interview it's obviously my individual responsibility to know those words but for whose responsibility is it uh is it maybe in school when we should learn these things or is is it in fact something that everybody should go out there and and learn by themselves yeah i mean i i um have never even thought about introducing those that terminology and stuff in schools in a in a formal sense, just because maybe because it, I feel like it won't ever happen, or at least not for a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, kids are kids are learning about these things in school when they're connecting with each other and talking with each other, you know. And there's different clubs and stuff that exist um, nationally. There's an organization, Gay Straight Alliance, and so you'll see these different clubs at schools in Seattle. It's the Queer Straight Alliance. Um, and kids have, have an opportunity to learn about that stuff at, at those different groups. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think because we are an ever growing diverse population, you know, we are not just in this country, but globally, I do think that it is important for people to educate themselves on, on all sorts of topics like this, you know, um, and that extends to racism and sexism and people should know what a microaggression is uh, because we, you just, you can't not be diverse anymore and, and have a handle on, on those things. It's, um, it's becoming a very much a part of our world. So are the trips only for kids who <clears throat> identify as queer? Um, that's, that's what we say. We haven't had any allies approach us thus far. Um, we'd be open to that conversation, but we really wanted to make sure that we were offering this opportunity to folks that, that really, really needed it. Um, and I, I guess I do make a distinction between the emotional needs of someone who does identify as trans um, or even gay compared to someone who is an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would be open to having allies on the trip, um, but they are definitely designed for folks who identify underneath the queer umbrella in some respect. Mm -hmm. Now, I know I already know the answer to this question, um, but I think it's one that sometimes pokes, uh, pops up into people's heads, especially when they're feeling rather cynical. Um, What, what do you say to the people who say, well, you can't have a trip for only people who identify as queer and segregate them from the people who are straight. What's your response to that? Um, well, I mean, we have a history of doing it, you know, Outward Bound, the National Outdoor Leadership School, those were, those programs were all started serving white cisgendered males. Um, maybe they'd throw a, a young man of color in there every once in a while, but, you know, those, those programs were designed to help that particular group, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts. We, we have a history of doing this all over the place, um, in, no one raises that into question because those are all more dominant groups in society. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that for the same reasons that people felt those programs were important, um, we feel ours is important. Even in, arguably, I feel ours is even more important, right? Because you can't go out and get your needs met 
in the same way mm-hmm. um, as a queer person as you can if you are someone who has less marginalized identity. I spoke with uh, Jose Gonzalez from Latino Outdoors and his response, because I asked him a similar question, what do you say to the people who say, well, what if we were to have an only white uh, outdoors community? And he was like, well, that's reality already. Yeah. That, that already yeah. exists. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, absolutely. How uh, How do you get people who are who don't identify that way to to really care because honestly uh, i want to be completely honest i see get involved the get involved button on the website mm-hmm. and my first reaction is why why would i get involved with this i can't really empathize yeah i think that um we're always trying to find a way to connect with people you know and we have a our organization is interesting because it spans so many different um, genres of, of people and of giving and, and philanthropy. Um, you know, we, if somebody grew up camping, you know, or they grew up fishing with their dad every summer and that was, was this really formative experience for them, you know, we can kind of tap into that and we can say, we're, we're trying to provide a situation similar to the one that you were able to experience, you know, or, um, if folks are really interested in working with young people um, and trying to help them become better leaders or more confident, you know, we're, we're able to offer up um, reasons why, why we are able to do that as well, you know, and then, and then you have the other folks that are attuned to social justice work that's happening across the country. And, and then we're able to, to represent that community as well. You know, so I think we do offer an interesting way for folks to be connected regardless of, of who you are, you know, and um, so often I hear I hear stories and this has happened with more frequency as I've been um, working on on this organization. Um, but people like, oh, yeah, I have a gay niece or my my sister is trans or, um, you know, something like that. That It's pretty amazing to hear the increase in frequency um, with which people are engaging with the queer community in some way. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the interview, you said that uh, the queer community doesn't have a history of uh, engaging in the outdoors. Uh, mm-hmm. Why not? Um, well, I think a couple different reasons. You know, all of the formative milestones or the big milestones for the queer community, if you look back in this country, um, all those big things have happened in cities. You know, the Stonewall Riots happened in New York. Um, Daughters of Belitis, Mattachine Society, these organizations that started as underground um, gay and lesbian groups started in San Francisco or New York. And we, even now, people tend to move from rural areas to urban areas. You know, I did that. I grew up in a town of 2,000 people. Um, and went to college in Madison and then moved a few years later to an even bigger city um, because you just find a higher diversity of folks and and more resources, you know. Um, but when you move to those cities, the things that people often engage with are bar cultures, um, you know, coffee shops, things like that. That connection to nature just, just isn't there. Um, you know, and I feel like the narrative for a queer person is that you, you wait till you turn 18. And then when you're 18, you try to get a fake ID so you can sneak into the bars. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. That's you know, not just you, specific to the queer community. I don't think, is it? 
No, no, it's definitely not. Um, but those are, that's, that's what I remember being Uh most excited about because that was the only way that I could connect with my community. I knew, you know, there's one major gay bar in Madison and I knew if I wanted to try to meet people who I identified with on this level that I had to go there. I didn't know where else to go, you know? Um, and in, in places like Seattle, you're seeing an expansion of, of resources, which is fantastic. You know, there's different groups that do different things and there's, um, they're meeting every other week in a space that isn't at a bar, um, and talking about healthy lifestyles and all sorts of things. And that's fantastic. And, and we're just trying to contribute to that. But I, I think it, it is the unfortunate reality that that, that narrative is still the truth for a lot of folks. Coming up, Elisa's gear recommendation and who she'd like to hear next on the show. This episode is made possible by Mountain House, who makes freeze-dried meals that are perfect for your adventures and your tummy. Mountain House's meals are freeze-dried. It's a process that doesn't require any chemicals or preservatives. They utilize the physics of temperature and air pressure to remove all of the water out of the food. Then you just add it back in when you're ready to eat. In fact, the Incas used freeze-drying over 500 years ago, although they didn't have the benefit of eating the product right out of the bag. You have that with Mountain House. For 20% off of your purchase, mountainhouse.com slash M-E-I-S-T-E-R. You'll get a secret code to use at checkout there. When Gus Kenworthy came out, uh, what was that, a few months ago, um, there was just a lot of discussion about this queer community in the outdoor sports and how they're kind of underrepresented and, and professional athletes in general. Um, how does that have an impact on, on the rest of the community? Um, yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, for me personally, I, I was stoked to see, see him, you know, be able to finally come out in such a public way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think it's great, you know, that, that increase in invisibility is, is just, is always good at this stage in the game. It's something that is, is interesting as, as a gay person, um, I'm always pretty much the only one that, that is out in the various types of jobs that I've done. Um, and it can be kind of rough, you know? So I think when we, if there's more of us strength in numbers mm-hmm. sort of thing, um, I think that that's, that's always fantastic. And I think that it's something that in particular, the action sports world needs to, to begin to talk about. Um, cause that can be a pretty sexist and racist and homophobic and, uh, transphobic for sure. More, more so than other sports. Um, well, I, I think that, yeah, I guess my personal experience is that because of the sort of high octane nature, um, you know, that the culture that can be, hmm. that can be existing in those different sports can be pretty awful. Um, people are just more aggressive. Is that what you mean by it? Yeah, I think more aggressive and it's, it's all about being as macho as you can be, Hmm. you know? Um, and that obviously that's, you see that in sports in general, but, um, you know, even the NFL has had to talk about, about people who are gay and participating in their, their industry, um, more than the action sports industry has. 
And, um, you know, the action sports industry doesn't even talk about the, the blatant sexism that happens all the time. So I think folks like us um, are fantastic because they're, they're starting a conversation that is so necessary and that hasn't really happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, it, is it very frustrating for you? I, I, I'd imagine a lot of what you see, I mean, I get frustrated with the media sometimes in the way that things are covered. <laughs> It must be just a con. You just must be frustrated all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to be. I used to be pretty angry, pretty much every day. Um, but it's not. It's a tough way to live, you know. And it's not fun. Um, it also doesn't change anything. As much as I wish right. it would, it doesn't do anything but but hurt me, you know. So that's part of the reason why I started OTA was to try to offset some of that stuff. You know, instead of focusing my energy on on being angry and and reading the horrible, horrible comment sections of mm. of different social media conversations, um, I could put my energy into creating something really good and trying to get that out into the world and spread that message instead. Yeah, I have an idea for a comment section. This is a, a new comment section technology that I think needs to exist. Um, you have what a limit on the number of characters because let's face it, nobody reads the book long comments that people put That's true. Um, and and then people can report comments as abusive or they can choose to engage in a private discussion with that person so, ah. so that way if, if you really want to have a value-added conversation um the the purpose of doing that is to on, is to increase your learning rather than just to show off every to everybody through the comment section and and create really witty comments it kind of eliminates that yeah, yeah, interesting. Because half the time the comments are just between two people that right. th- that want their voices heard for right. no reason except for self-interest. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I wish that we were able to have those conversations face-to-face too. You know, the yeah. internet's <laughs> such a weird thing. Yeah, you should be able to connect through a video chat with the other person online. I bet you that would reduce the number <laughs> of hateful comments that, that people would but totally. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's harder to be a jerk to someone's face. You oh, know? totally. Yeah. Yeah. You just hide behind the, the screen or the keyboard normally. Yeah. It's too easy. Yep. Interesting. We like to get a gear recommendation to switch base. We like to get a gear recommendation from everybody that comes onto the show. Do with it whatever you would like, Elise. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this because I... <laughs> I love gear. I love the discounts that working in the outdoor industry mm-hmm. affords one on gear. Um, <clears throat> so I've done, I'm a paddler by training, you know, grew up canoeing in Wisconsin and um, done some guiding work up in Alaska and, and now down here in the Pacific Northwest. And I have found extra tufts to be some of the most amazing footwear that I've ever worn. Um, pretty much exclusively what I wear when I'm guiding in Alaska. And um, and then being in Seattle with the, the amount of fishermen and stuff that we have here, you'll see them around every once in a while. But I think they're fantastic. Um, you know, I saw the folks that are spending their year in the Boundary Waters uh, were rocking extra tufts. And I think they're a really, really solid piece of gear. Um, extra tufts. Is that, yeah. is that spelled uh, spelled like extra tufts or does it have it's, any sort of special spelling? It does have a special okay. spelling. Yeah, it's um X T R A T U F F. Okay. Extra so tough. about as fancy as it can get. 
Indeed. Yeah. Okay. And these yeah. are, I don't think I've ever heard of these. Are these are boots? They are. Yeah. They're like knee high rubber boots. Oh, and, okay. Um, Big boots. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're fantastic. They come in a bunch of different varieties. You can get them insulated. You can get them more similar to your regular rain galosh. Um, and I've, I've had pretty much every different style mm. and they're fantastic. Yeah. I really like them. Some folks are, will, will tell you that their quality has gone down. They changed their their production location. Hmm. Um, but I haven't had any issues with my, my various pairs. So have you ever worn your extra tufts in a place that one would not normally wear their extra tufts? Um, well, it's funny cause in Alaska you wear them everywhere. So <laughs> I've worn them into, you know, into a, a hair salon to get my hair cut. Uh, <laughs> um, definitely to the bars, you know, yeah. Um, and wherever you, the grocery store, wherever you might be going. So I thought about doing that in Seattle just to see what the reaction might be. Right. But um, Seattle is is such a fan of of its of its diversity. Um, I don't think people would would look at me too funny. Actually, <laughs> they just wouldn't wouldn't take any notice. Yeah, probably yeah. not. Probably not. That's like my my roommate uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Told I was looking through the Mountain Hardware website and I came across the Everest suit or, or whatever their full full body insulation one was. Oh yeah! And he said I would love to just use that to walk to work each morning. There you go, <laughs> Boston winter. I know. Yeah, y'all have had a couple of rough winters too. Yeah, uh, this one hasn't been so bad. Last last winter, I definitely would have found some opportunities to use it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the extra tufts on Elise's Meister profile page on our website, <laughs> mtnmeister.com. One final question for you, and that is, who would you like to hear next on this show? Yeah, um, well, I've got two folks to offer up. You could mm-hmm. probably probably talk to them at the same time. Um, so there's some some professional acquaintances of ours, and also some friends, and they've started a new group. Um, so the two folks are Ava Holiday and Aparna Rajagopal Durbin, um, and they both worked with Knowles for a while, and and now they've started this consulting group. It's the Avarna Group, mm. and they are working on diversity and inclusion in the outdoor industry. Um, and their scope is, is a bit broader than ours. So they focus on race and gender and ability in addition to, um, the queer stuff. And they're doing some really great work and really, really rad and badass ladies. Very good. Avarna, is that what she said? Correct. Yeah. The Avarna group. The Avarna group. Keep an ear out for those ladies on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. You can find out more outthereadventures.org. They're also on Facebook. We'll have links to everything on Elise's Meister profile page. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Meister fans, that was Elise Rylander. She's the executive director of Out There Adventures. Links, of course, on her Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. While you're there, check out the blog. Our newest post is podcast recommendations from yours truly. If you ever wondered what podcasts a podcast host listens to, that information is there. Also, we'll have the link to our deal from Mountain House, our sponsor, 20% off. The link to that is on our website as well. And finally, if you'd like to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, that's always appreciated. It helps spread the word about the podcast. Just go to Mountain Meister on iTunes 
leave a rating, a review. That's a good way of letting me know what you think of the show, too. And, as always, you can shoot me a message, ben at mtnmeister.com. As usual, I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm the host, Ben Shank. Till next time, you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.